Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Woo! That was like a normal woo. That wasn't like a BBS week. Woo! It's okay. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and we're uh, we're happy to have you with us here uh, in the forest. Uh, before uh, before we get too deep into anything. I know some of you know this because social media allows news to travel fast, but the Kyle Ralph uh, proposed and is now engaged to his lovely fiance, Gianna Lolly. So just so you're aware, uh, they, will have a, uh, they will have a wedding and um, don't be offended if you're not invited to it. So just saying. It's the reality of ministry, guys. Just, uh, just saying. Uh, and then also, uh, man, big, big thanks to, uh, to Dave Fox, who, uh, who uh, filled the pulpit for me last week. He did a, uh, an incredible, incredible job. I think you might be watching online. I mean, can you make some noise so you can hear you online maybe? Anybody? Yeah. Um, I'm so thankful for that man, um, and not just because he handles the word well, uh, but because of the fact that uh, ever since I've got here, regardless if we agree or disagree or whatever it may be, that man uh, just exists to encourage people, to support people, to move people uh, forward. And so, Dave, if you're watching, I'm thankful for you. If not, you should be watching. Um, but... Uh, but we are continuing in our series called Into, Into the Wilderness, our study through Exodus. We're going to be in and around Exodus 21 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip them open. You can click uh, to, uh, to there as well if it's on your, on your phone. Um, but I just want to be clear. We are now in the book, the part of Exodus. We are post Ten Commandments. We are post uh, <laughs> Moses and Pharaoh. We are post let my people go. We are post the parting of the Red Sea. We, and you're like, what else is there to the book of Exodus? Forty years of wandering is what is next in, uh, in the book of Exodus. And so, um, man, this is, the, this is the chunk of the book of Exodus that... When you start your reading plan in the, in the beginning of the year, you get through Genesis, you're like, man, okay, some of those were a little bit rough. You get through the beginning of Exodus, you're like, man, good stories, I like this. And then this hits, the law hits, post Ten Commandments hit. And then you just start doing this, right? Like, okay, yeah, okay, there's more, there's more laws. Okay, I'm just going to keep getting through this until I can find a story, right? It's kind of like when you hit some of those genealogies in Scripture and you're like, okay, I don't know who begat who and why this is important to me. So I'm just going to kind of fly through it until um, I, can, uh, I can get to the end. And so we are not going to be doing that. We are going to be looking at the scripture. We are going to be looking at the law. And today, really, my desire is as you leave from here, I want you to understand why it is that the law is in place and what, like, how that pertains to us um, today. But before we get there, real quick, show of hands, board game nerds in the room. Any board game nerds in the room? Self-professed, okay. Uh, going back to, that was a Kyle Ralph scream that you heard in the back. Going back to our pastor, our worship pastor, Kyle Ralph, uh, one of the biggest board game nerds in the room, actually. He started the very first uh, board, Biola University board and card game nerd club uh, on campus. I don't think that's what it was actually called, but he started it. He um, for however many years, and we go on staff retreat in a couple weeks, 
And he always brings some random games that I've never heard of and we geek out together. Because I love, I love board games too. Um, I got introduced to my favorite board game when I was a junior in high school. I had never even heard of this board game before. And some of you are going to think this is like a cardinal sin. But I've never heard of this board game. Actually, my youth pastor uh, uh, introduced it to me. Uh, a guy by the name of Josh Lane introduced it to me. And his whole desire was simply to be able to wipe me off the face of the earth. Risk right? Like risk for me was that, like that game. Hey, what do you want to do tonight? Me and my friends, like we didn't go to parties in high school. We got together and we played risk, okay? We were real popular. Um, <laughs> people didn't want to hang out with us. Girls didn't want to come play risk with us. I don't understand what the deal was. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it got so bad. At one point, we, um, we decided the best thing for us, how we were going to get better, is we really needed to watch some game film on ourselves playing Risk. So I'm not joking with you. We played a two and a half hour game of Risk. We recorded the entire game of Risk on two separate cassette tapes. And then when we were finished playing that two and a half hour game of Risk, we immediately went back and watched ourselves playing two and a half hours worth of risk. My dad even thought that we had a problem because his pastor came up and asked him, he was like, hey, how's Pete doing? And his pastor was like, or, or the pastor said that. My dad was like, well, he's doing pretty good, but man, him and his friends, they just stay up really, really late playing risk all the time. Like that was my dad's main concern about me. So the pastor was like, hey, Ed, I think you're okay. Like, I think it's, I think he'll get past this and kind of be, be unscathed. But my, really, my favorite board game, uh, types of board games are really word games. I love playing word games. You know, Scrabble, words with friends, everything's like that, move around shapes, that sort of thing. One that I really enjoy is Balderdash, though. Anybody heard of Balderdash? Okay. Balderdash, is a, it's an older game, and you used to just be able to use a dictionary. And honestly, you still can. You, you can open up a dictionary, find a word that you think is a weird word. Um, the one person writes down the definition to it, every, and then he reads that word to everybody. And then they are responsible for coming up with a, a kind of a strange definition, um, that, and then everybody votes on what they think the right definition is um, uh, for that. Well, in Balderdash, they used to, in the original Balderdash game, they used to have different categories, and uh, they had five different categories, and one of those categories was called laughable laws, right? Like just laws that, would be, like these are absolutely ridiculous laws. Um, and so I want to give you a couple examples of some of the laughable laws. You guys have probably seen some of this stuff online before, but uh, one of the laughable laws is in Sweden, uh, it's actually against the law to train Okay, there could be a lot of things that come after that word train, but it's against the law to train your pet seal. Okay, so be aware of that if you choose on or choose, want to bring up that hobby. Um, in, uh, in West Virginia, it's unlawful for any clergyman, that would be me, so you guys are all safe. Okay, this is a law that pertains to me. In, in West Virginia, it's unlawful for any clergyman to tell a, jo a joke while on the pulpit. Okay, good news. Not funny enough for that to apply to me. Anyway, so I guess I'm fine. Um, and then in Boston, in Boston, Massachusetts, it is against the law to put tomatoes in clam chowder, right? True story. You guys thought New England clam chowder was just because that's what they did. No, it's illegal for them to add tomatoes to it, right? Um, and my favorite, actually, one we have in Hanford, okay, a law that is on the books in Hanford that actually uh, Garrett Jones told me about earlier this morning. Uh, that, that debuted on Ripley's, believe it or not, uh, we have a law that says it is illegal for parents to prevent their kids from splashing in puddles after it rains. You live here, 
right? Like, like, that, like that is a real law, okay? Somebody thought it was important enough that, hey, you know what? No, kids, it should be illegal for parents to prevent their kids from getting muddy. Not okay. They need to have fun. Um, but someone at some point cared enough about all of these strange laws to be able to get them passed, okay? All of them. But do any of them really apply to us, okay? Doubt it. Unless my kid is going to cite that law when I was like, hey, we're on our way to church. Don't jump in that puddle. He's like, dad, that's illegal, right? Like no one, no one is going, like for the most part, we don't think these apply, apply to us. Okay? And we look at these now and we think, you know, they're ridiculous. And the, the, the unfortunate thing, though, is that oftentimes this is how we tend to treat the Old Testament, right? We look at the Old Testament. We look at the different laws that the Old Testament has. We're like, hey, this doesn't apply to us. This doesn't matter anymore. This is antiquated. And so because of the fact it's antiquated, I don't need to pay attention to it. And so I'm just going to kind of move on, right? I'm just going to skim this. I'll get the context of it. And then I'm just going to kind of move on. And so do the, do the laws really apply to us? Right? Because, I mean, if you look at some of them, we don't, we don't have a slave, okay? But, but Exodus 21, 6 says, Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be a slave forever. Right? This is what it meant to be a bond servant, a bond slave to somebody at the time. It is a law that's on the books, Okay, so does it apply to us? No, it doesn't apply to us. How about Exodus 21, 17? You parents, keep this one in your back pocket if you want to freak your kids out. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death, right? Okay, seems pretty strict. Seems, I mean, that, okay, we're going to keep that noted though. And we're not planning or asking our neighbor to store our ox, okay? We live in Hanford or Lemoore or Kings County, wherever it is that you live. So you're not asking to store oxen, most likely maybe a cow, Okay, but not ox, right? And so, you know, Exodus 22.10, it deals with what happens if your neighbor mistreats your ox. And so I understand how the Old Testament kind of gets this bad rap. So the question is, is should we kind of interpret the law as this strict code that we need to obey as kind of general principles, or should we just ignore it? Like, where is it that we should, we should fall? So I think in order to gain gain a better understanding of why the Old Testament is important, we have to look at a couple different lenses for us to understand. Yeah, we're going to look at three lenses this morning. The first lens we're going to look at the law through is, is through the Israelites. Okay, we've got to have context for why this law is put in place. So specifically, the Israelites are in Exodus, right? Like this, the book of, Isra the book of Exodus, the Israelites are the one who is wandering. So the law was given to them. So we need to look at them. We're also going to look at the life of Jesus, Okay, why is the law important to Jesus? And then we're going to finish with modern-day Christians, you and I. Why is it that, uh, that this is important? So first, we need to understand the historical context of the law. Okay? It was written for the Israelite people, like I just said. So in order to take all of this on a deeper level, we need to go back to, to this original promise that was made between God and Abraham. Abraham is the patriarch of the Israelite people all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Okay, God gives them the law to help accomplish a mission. This is why the law is put into place. God said that, that Abraham, that he was going to, God was going to bless Abraham, the whole world, through his descendants. 
And God gives him, God gives him the law to help accomplish this. What we need to remember about this promise back in Genesis 12 is that God tells us that he is going to use the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, the people written about in the book of Exodus to orchestrate his plan of salvation for the entire world. Yeah, that's what, that's what he tells us. And then in Exodus 19, where we find the Ten Commandments, where, where Dave was preaching out of last week, it tells us that, that each generation's participation in this plan, this obedience, like all of them, like, like all of this is requirement for them to be obedient in the law. Hey, I read an article uh, by the Village Church. The church there is a guy by the name of uh, Pastor Matt Chandler. Okay? Some of you guys are a pretty famous pastor, but Matt Chandler um, talks about why, uh, or, or he, he breaks down the law in a couple of different ways for Israel. And I'm going to use his framework for this. Okay, so in Israel, um, the law kind of distinguished that nation. The law distinguished Israel. Like the, the, the law makes the Israelites stand out from the crowd. Okay, the law is a, like they are a special nation. They're not ruled by a human king, okay, but they are led, they are ruled by God himself. They're a theocracy, and so for those of you who have forgot maybe about different types of government structures, a theocracy is a form of government which God rules through laws that are interpreted, interpreted by religious officials, okay? Different priests or elders or prophets or judges or whatever it is, okay? They're God's people, okay? The law distinguishes Israel. It set them apart from the crowd because they had a separate requirement than everybody else, Right, look at, at a very base level, right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? Like, like, like you, they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, the Israelites. Everybody else was allowed to. Well, let's say you have a small business. You're an Israelite in the Old Testament. You have a small business. Your competition is working seven days a week to outwork you, to gain a larger profit than you. But you are required to remain faithful to God, which means you have to take one day off every single week. So for every six days that you're working, your competition is working seven. They are set apart. They had to trust God in order to do very simple, very simple tasks. So they're set apart from the crowd. But beyond that, law actually, the law restrains evil is how Chandler put it. And so by doing so and, and, and having consequences that, that go along with that, like the law restrains it. And to be fair, like a lot of times we read through these consequences, right? Like, when it said, like, hey, when a kid curses his father or mother, he should be killed, you're like, man, God is mean. You ever tried to uh, ask your, maybe your kids are disobedient, your more disobedient child to do something, and if they don't do it, and then you never fill in that blank, right? You're just like, hey, don't do this, period. And there's no consequences at the end of this. Like, it, like if you don't have consequences or rewards or however it is that you're socially conditioning your kids to know that cleaning your room is the most important thing to do in your home, that's just me, cool. Like however it is that you're doing, if there are no consequences at the end of that, okay, there's no teeth. Chances are they are not going to follow through. There's no consequence there and there's no way for your kid to make a good decision based on the information that they have. And so if God was just like, here's the law, hey, do this, and there's no consequences beyond that, okay, how are they going to know how it is that they're supposed to make a, a good decision, or else it's just like a suggestion, right? If we have the law of the land, if we have our law, and it says to go 55 miles an hour, but there's no repercussions for going over 55 miles an hour, guess what would happen? Everybody would drive however fast they wanted to drive, 
But now it says, hey, you have to drive 55 miles an hour. And then everybody drives like 65 to 70 miles an hour, right? And it's fine. No. But you don't drive up to 95. Because for some reason in our heads, we're like, hey, you know what? We can, we can get away with going up to 65 miles an hour. But as soon as I go to 95 miles an hour, that ticket's going to be a whole lot bigger. So forget about it. The consequences there are protecting people from evil. This is the same thing that God is doing with the law. So take, for example, the, the consequences that, that God has. It's Exodus 20, 26. He has consequences for not protecting at-risk classes of people like slaves, women, and the unborn. Exodus 20, 26. It says, an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free and compensate for the eye. A law is able to restrain evil with consequences. That's why it exists. This was unheard of at the time, by the way. You could treat your slave however it is that you wanted to treat your slave. But the law had set apart Israel and said, hey, no, no, no. Those are people. Those are people made in the image of God. And so because of that, there are consequences for the poor treatment of these people, the poor treatment of these actions. Exodus 21, 23 to 25. But if there is serious injury... You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, right? That one gets taken out of context a lot because a lot of people believe like, oh, he hit me, so it's my job to hit him back. God said it's okay, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. Maybe you've heard of Gandhi's quote. It says, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind, Right? Which, is, which is true, but this law, this law is actually intended to restrain violence. It's not intended to, to inflame it. Instead of punishing crime with, with an unfair punishment that kind of provokes retaliation, the punishment is supposed to match the crime. doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, you're black, you're white, you're male, you're female, whatever. Okay, the punishment matches the crime. But the biggest thing that the law does for the Israelites is that it distinguishes their hearts. You can see their hearts in this. Let me tell you what I mean. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. 613. That's a lot of laws. There's 613 of them. And in Exodus 24, Moses gives the people these commandments. And he says, in Exodus 24, 3, the people say, we will do everything God wants. We'll do it all. We'll, we will follow all 613 of the commands that you have for us. Every single one of those laws, I will follow. And then they decide to sacrifice bulls, and Moses isn't happy about it. And Moses actually decides that he's going to throw uh, some bull blood on those people. Exodus 24, 8 says, Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. In other words, hey, Israel, if you obey the law, you'll receive God's blessing. If you obey the law, you'll receive God's blessing. But if you disobey, you're going to receive God's curse. Now, when I, any hunters in here? Any hunters? Yeah? Okay, so I've been hunting, um, never, um, and when I was in high school, um, I actually got, to, I, I got a chance to go on a hunting trip, but um, as I like, I just rode along on a horse that I didn't know how to control, and like it was just a disaster, and I was just like along for the ride. So I was like 14 or 15, and um, someone, you know, uh, got a deer, and 
uh, they took it back and, hey, if you're there, like the rule was you have to help clean this thing, right? You got to help skin this thing. And so I got firsthand experience of watching a deer. And I'm not dumb enough to think like, oh, the meat that I get at the supermarket just grows on trees. Like I know where meat comes from. Like I know how like in my head it happens. But like sitting there and watching a deer, you know, get processed, um, it's not something that like I would line up for. And, and can you imagine then Moses here? Who's like, hey, he's lining up, lining up. Hey, he's going to throw blood on, on you. You would remember that threat. Like, if you've ever been around an animal being processed, like, it's not exciting. It's not exciting at all. I was actually, one of my favorite shows is the show Alone. Anybody seen the show Alone? Okay, yeah, a few of you. So, uh, I just watched a dude skin a squirrel and eat it last night. He was, he was really, really hungry. I know some of you are like, why would you ever do that? He was really hungry. But the funny thing is, he then got a disease, got stomach cramps, and had to get evac'd out. So anyway, don't do that. But what I'm saying is, like, it's gnarly. It's not exciting. It's not fun. And so Moses we have here as this bull has been sacrificed. And he's like, hey, remember this. Remember what is happening currently. And they agreed to it. And they're like, yep, we, we will do it. If you, if you obey the law, you'll receive God's blessing. But if you disobey the law, you will receive God's curse. And the Israelite people, they, they agree to these terms. They're like, fine, we'll do it. But as we will continue to see, like they, keep, they, they, they don't keep their promises. Like in a few short verses, chapters after this, they start worshiping a golden calf. Like they literally just got actual bull blood thrown on them by Moses. And they're like, you know what? That bull blood wasn't real enough. Let's make one out of our earrings and then worship that instead. Like they agreed to this. And then they completely and totally did a 180 and started walking in the other direction. The law is revealing what Moses calls their uncircumcised hearts. They can't obey God because their hearts won't let them. So God promises them a, a new law. He promises them a new heart. It's actually in the book of Jeremiah. And that's how we get to Jesus. So how then does the law apply to Jesus? Because we have to remember that Jesus is a Jewish male and he has not resurrected yet. So the law hasn't been fulfilled by him yet. It's a weird way to think about it. But how does the law actually pertain to Jesus? So Jesus comes and he offers this new law that's promised in the book of Jeremiah. But he doesn't throw the old one away. It's not like he goes back through the books and is like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to need that law anymore. Well, I'll keep this one here. Like, no, he, he comes and he fulfills the law is what it says. Matthew 5, 17. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this before. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Oftentimes these things are talked about after Sunday school or small groups or whatever, and, and there's like, oh, yeah, no, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law, and that's why it's important. And then we say that, and we're like, oh, yeah, he came to fulfill, but no one really understands what he came to fulfill the law means, right? You walk away, and you're like, what, is that? what does that actually mean that he came? So let's, let's think about this for a second. Okay, Jesus' purpose was to establish himself, the Word, the capital W word, to, to embody the law and to fully accomplish everything that was written, right? You think about the major, the minor prophets, everything that was written about him. Christ is the culmination of the law is what Romans 10.4 says. Okay, the pr predictions of the prophets, 
the perfect standard of the law, the, the requirements that needed to be personally obeyed, the, the ceremonial observances, all of those things came to fruition in Christ and he embodied it perfectly. So when it says he came to fulfill the law, and if you sub out that word embody, and it gives you a much clearer word picture of what that actually means. The law was wrapped up perfectly in who he was. So Christ embodies the law for us. And so then we've got to think about then, okay, how is it that Jesus summarized the whole law? You're probably more familiar with this. Because an expert in the law came up to him and he asked him, hey, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, to love your neighbor. Matthew 22, 37 to 40. That's what he says. Jesus says, all, all 600 plus laws that are on the books in the Old Testament, all of those laws, I'm going to summarize them into two, love God and love people. That's what he says here. So Jesus embodies love for God. Actually, the first four of the Ten Commandments that Dave preached on last week are all about loving God, right? You want to talk about how do, how do these two statements encapsulate the law? Numbers one through four in the Ten Commandments are all about loving God. So let's see how Jesus actually embodies this because if we go back to what Dave talked about last week, the first commandment says to have no other gods before him. Well, in Mark 14, 36, Jesus puts his father first, submitting to his will for Jesus to die on the cross. He says, hey, look, I'm willingly going to empty myself. The second commandment says not to bow down to idols. Well, how did Jesus embody that one? Matthew 4, 9, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he said, I will not bow down. Or if you, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of these things. And Jesus refused. So he refuses to bow down to idols. So the third commandment says, don't blaspheme God's name. So when Jesus is on trial, he was accused of blasphemy. He was the only one who actually bore God's name correctly. That's Matthew 26, 65. Or the fourth commandment says to honor the Sabbath. And the Bible tells us Jesus has become our perfect Sabbath. In Mark 2, 27, Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4, 9. Okay, so those first four, he's like, hey, he's embodying the law. He says, hey, love God. I'm going to encapsulate all of it for you. Step one, love God. Commandments one through four. Okay, now I need you to love people. Okay, now let's look at commandments five through ten at that point. Because the fifth commandment, it says to honor your parents. Okay, well, in what way did Jesus honor his parents? Well, actually, as Jesus was dying on the cross, he told his disciple John to take care of his mother Mary in John 19, 27. So he embodies, hey, love people by honoring your parents. So the sixth commandment, it says not to murder. I love this one because obviously Jesus didn't murder anybody, but it got flipped on its head, right? Where not only did Jesus not murder, Jesus was murdered for us. Those of us who have committed murder in our hearts, Matthew 5, 22. Or the seventh commandment says not to commit adultery. Jesus never did that, but he also loved the adulterous woman at the well, calling her to repentance in John chapter 4. Or the eighth says, don't steal. Jesus gave his life for us. He actually didn't only not steal, but he actually gave back to us. The ninth says, don't bear false testimony. Jesus never said a word as he was led to the cross. That's in Isaiah 53.7, the prophecy about Jesus going to be nailed to the cross. And the 10th says, don't covet, don't want what your neighbor has. 
This is my favorite one. I talked about the fact that Jesus willingly emptied himself a little bit earlier, a few minutes ago. Okay, in theological terms, this is called the kenosis. Starts with a K, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, the kenosis, where Jesus willingly emptied himself, emptied himself of the privileges of deity is how we would say it. Okay, Jesus and God were equal, are equal. And Jesus was like, hey, something needs to be done down there. So Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm going to temporarily set aside the privileges of deity, the privileges of me being God, and I'm going to go down there and save each and every one of them. He had everything in heaven, everything. And Jesus willingly gave up all of that for us. So not only did he not covet, but he gave everything away for our sake. He, the gospel is the good news that Jesus embodies for all of us. It is the law that he embodies for all of us to love God and to love people. But we still have, not just that, we still have the entire Old Testament to think about, right? The entire Old Testament. And even though we should, we should look to Jesus regarding how it is that we should act, what does the law then mean for you and I? Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, the Bible wasn't written about you. It is not a story about you. It is a story about Jesus. It's a story about God that has ramifications for you, okay? So don't be confused about this. So as I'm talking about the law specifically, okay, that doesn't mean that this law is specifically for you. There are ramifications about it, though, that we need to, we need to pull. So what does the law mean for us? The law that God gave to Moses Hear me on this. The law that God gave to Moses does not apply to us. The law, the Mosaic law, the 600 plus laws that were given, that does not apply to Christians. Why? Because Christ has given the church a new law. Christ has given the church a new covenant, which is a fulfillment, the embodiment of the, own, the old law. Galatians 6 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Love people. Christ's law is both, both a different and a better version of Moses' law. Okay, the Mosaic law is like, it, it's kind of like a law from a different country. Anybody ever do any international travel? International travel, right? International travel is great. It's a whole lot of fun. But one of the things as I was like, I would take groups to Mexico and that sort of thing when I was a youth pastor, I was always terrified I was breaking the law anywhere I went and I didn't know it, right? Anybody else have that like anxiety where it's like, you're like, hey, I, I hope I'm driving on the right side of the road right now. And in Mexico I was, so that's good. Okay, but like even when Sarah and I got the opportunity to travel to Kenya, I love Kenya, Kenya's great, but the entire time I was over there, I was like, well, I hope I'm not breaking any laws right now because I don't want to end up in a Kenyan prison, right? The, the law of Moses is, is a little bit like that, and in the same way that, that when we're in Kenya, when we were in Kenya, those laws applied to us, but we're not in Kenya anymore. We live in the United States, and so those laws that the Kenyans have to follow at a different time, maybe a different place, those no longer apply to us because I'm a United States citizen. I live here and I'm currently here. And there are some inherent truths, inherent laws that, that apply to everybody, like it being illegal to murder and illegal to steal and all that stuff. But those laws ultimately don't matter to me. 
Especially the one, the one law that I found that's very much a balderdash law that in Kenya it's illegal to walk around and not have any money in your pocket. That's pretty fun. So I definitely was breaking the law while I was over there. But as Christians, we are, we are set free from having to obey the law of Moses. We don't have to do it. But now Jesus holds us accountable to a much more challenging law, the law of Christ. And this law is summarized, again, by loving God and loving people, which means loving everyone even when it costs us personally. Okay, the law of Christ, it sets us free to, to obey, and it does this because it reminds us of our need for Jesus, because we have to look at what, what Jesus expects. What is it then, like, like this, this law, that, this new law that Christ set out for us? What is it that, that he expects? Because Matthew 5.48 is pretty intimidating. Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's tough. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And as we encounter Jesus' law, we realize that, man, we don't want to obey in our own hearts. Why? Because we have the same hearts that the Israelites did. I mean, we can look at the story of the Israelites and, and Moses sprinkling, sprinkling blood on them and be like, man, that's a word picture I will never forget. And so because of that, I am always going to do what God told me to do. But our hearts are the same now as they were then. We're uncircumcised hearts, broken hearts, hearts that from the very get-go were inherently sinful, we're born with that uncircumcised hearts. And even though we can't obey perfectly, we then get to begin to obey because Jesus has given us new hearts. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You are a new creation. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have a new heart. You have a new standard for living. So I'm sure... Like Matthew 5.48 says, all of you are now, for those of you who follow Jesus, are now perfect, right? Like none of you guys since then have ever sinned at all. I saw too many head nods out there, and most of them were the husbands in the family, and I don't know what that correlation is. <clears throat> but we still fall short, right? Like Paul says, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. So how do we accomplish this law, how is it that, that this law is somehow different, that our hearts are somehow different than the hearts of the Israelites when they were like, yes, God, I'll do anything you want, and they turn around and they do exactly what God didn't want them to do. Like, how, how is it that we are supposed to accomplish following this law if only there was like some sort of helper that maybe God had sent at some point for us to be able to lean on, maybe when we didn't like understand his law in some way? Cool story. Actually, God, he did that for us, right? In Acts chapter 2, he sent his spirit to take up residence in every single person who calls Jesus Christ their Savior. So at the moment of salvation, you are now sealed with the spirit forever. And the Holy Spirit gets to guide you and move you forward and allowing you to be able to follow the law. He comes and takes up residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit empowers us like, like electricity that heats a house or object lesson, coal that fuels a train. I know. It's pretty good. I thought of that this morning at first service. 
Okay, he's like a, more like a good friend who can speak truth into your life. And when the going gets hard, like extends a hand to help pull us up. The Holy Spirit helps us love God and love people just like Jesus did. And we have to lean in to his spirit. It's not just about the law. It's not just about not doing what is wrong. It's about going that extra mile. Like the amount of times that I've gotten the question of, is this a sin? Like what do you, like, what do you want? You want me to draw a line in the sand? And say, okay, yes, if your foot is here, that's not a sin, but that is a sin. Like, we're asking the wrong questions. At some point, we just simply have to ask ourselves, hey, what is it that the Spirit is leading me to do? And it's spelled out in Scripture for you as well. So if you miss the, the, the groanings of the Spirit, yeah, you can read it in Scripture as well. And you're supposed to love God and love people. But yeah, 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 I know I'm supposed to do this, but is this sinful? Okay, no, you're missing the, the, the point again. Okay, no, 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 but is this, no, love God and love people is how Jesus summarizes everything in the Old Testament. Love God and love people. When, back when, when Brown versus Board of Education was passed, all the way back in 1954, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it said, he said this, for all men of goodwill, May 17th, 1954, marked a joyous end to the long night of enforced segregation. This decision brought hope to millions of disinherited black men and women who had formerly dared only to dream of freedom. And at that moment, hope was restored for those people. How much more important is it then when Jesus, when he comes and he establishes, he fulfills the Old Testament law and establishes and embodies and fulfills the new law of saying, hey, love God and love people. How much more now do we have the freedom to express the hope that we have in Christ to other people? Jesus' death sets free anyone who dreams of that freedom and is willing to trust him. At the 48th anniversary of that celebration of, of Brown versus Board of Education, it was at Topeka's First United Methodist Church, U.S. Representative John Lewis. He said this. He said, we live in a different country. We live in a better country because of what happened here in 1954, and we must never forget it. We must tell the story again over and over and over same thing applies to us as Christians. As Christians, we live in a better country now, in a, under a better law. And we can't ever forget how Jesus shed his blood so that we can have new hearts, new hearts that, that want to obey. Circumcised hearts that allows the Holy Spirit to work in us. And so we're not simply asking, am I sinning or am I breaking the law? We're asking, hey, how can I love this person better? Or how can I love God better? This law that you are required to follow, I know you read the Old Testament like, man, that's a lot of laws. The Old Testament law is easier than the law that you now live under. You have a greater expectation now than the Israelites did then. And it's harder now. And it will not get easier. And so at some point, we have to say, hey, look, Jesus came and embodied all of this. He fulfilled all of this. And because of that, man, I, I'm going to love God and to love people. The law you agreed to, the standard for which you have said yes to living when you entered into a relationship with Jesus is way more difficult. You have to love when you do not want to love. When someone wrongs you, you have to love them. 
Why? Because it's the law. When someone's of, here we go, a different political party than you, ooh, you have to love them. Why? Because it's the law. When someone cuts you off in traffic, even when they can't hear you, but your kids can in the back seat and they'll remind you of what you said, you have to love them. Why? Because it is the law. And you have to love them with your entire heart the same way that Jesus does for us. You're talking about like what, what does the law have to do with us today? Well, think about back what it did for the Israelites. The law distinguished the Israelites from other people. The law that you live under should distinguish you how you live apart from other people. If people don't know you're a Christian, if your coworkers don't know you're a Christian, if people you meet don't know you're a Christian, and you better check your heart. You better check about the law that you're actually living under. Because the requirement's greater now than it was then. The law of Christ, it, it, it protects us from evil. Okay? Because our job, our responsibility is to show people that we're Christians by our love. Like, like our job is to love people. And last I checked, loving one another doesn't really have any evil involved in it. And lastly, it's going to reveal the status of your heart. The law, the new law that Christ set up, it will reveal the status of your heart, especially when you're pressed, especially when things get hard, especially when things get good. It will reveal your dedication to what it is you said yes to in the first place. That's the law. And that's the responsibility of the church. Our responsibility as a church, whether it's little c, FBH, or capital C, church, our responsibility is to be doers of this law that Jesus set up, and it's to love God, it's to love people as we, let's get this, let's get our mission statement in, serve the world. That's our responsibility. And so as you go from here today, I just want you to think about what it would look like for the church. If we simply said, hey, you know what? I know, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but I said yes to this in the first place. When I said yes to Jesus and all of the blessings that came with it, I also said yes to the responsibility that came with it as well in the same way that when parents get the opportunity to have kids. You said yes to the responsibility in the same way that you get the blessings alongside of it. And it's work and it's hard and there's sometimes you don't want to do it, but you're called to it. You've done it. You get to continue to do it. And so church, it's our responsibility. We said yes to him in the first place. Now it's our responsibility to continue to not only obey his law, but show the world how much we love them simply because Christ loved us first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I thank you for your law. And in a passage of scripture this week and even, even next week and the following that Man, it deals with a whole lot of stuff that, that we just don't have context for oftentimes. That it's difficult maybe to begin to understand them. But God, I'm, I'm thankful that you established the law, that you embodied the law, that fulfilled it through your son. 
And God, I pray that we would remember the standard that we're held to. Remember that we are supposed to love you and love people. And that your whole law is fulfilled in that. It's all fulfilled in, in your son. And it's all wrapped up in those two commands. And so, God, I pray we would take that responsibility seriously. And not just with our heads, but with our actions, with our words. So, Father, I pray that you would make us bold in that. You would make us as a church dangerous with that. As we simply take responsibility for the decision that we already made. And maybe there's those in here who haven't said yes to you yet, who haven't gotten the opportunity to get those blessings of saying yes to Jesus. If that's you today, with head still bowed, eyes still closed, if that's you today and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, I just want to give you an opportunity to do so now. You can pray along with me and just say, Father, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. We all are. None of us match up to that law. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for me, who fulfilled that law. And C, I would, I would choose to follow you every single day of my life, which is where the rubber meets the road, which is the difficult part of every single message, of every single truth that we hear from your word with every single opportunity we get from your spirit is actually choosing to do it. So Father, I pray that we as a church would choose to follow you every single day. We're thankful for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.